Praise the Lord, mightiest prophets of the Lord. Amen. Now, very perfect. Well, uh, like I said, the Lord Jehovah, Jehovah Elohim, Jehovah Yahweh, He has spoken with me today, this past night, uh, in a very, very mega conversation that I want to share with your listeners and uh, the many, many, many cities globally that are tuned in. And I'm very cognizant, I'm very aware that you are in your Sunday services across this nation, and there's a big revival that is throbbing in the house of the Lord in this land. Many, many, many guests, thousands of guests have come. I mean, new people have been baptized. They are now seated in the house of the Lord. Some of them have simply walked away from the churches of apostasy and joined you, churches that had been uh, tolerant to sin, churches that were tolerating apostasy now they have seen the light they have come i know you have a lot of guests across this land and the crippled have walked i'm aware that many many cripples have walked to church on their feet their new feet and many blind have walked to church with their new eyes seeing many deaf are now sitting there and listening and being helped to understand what each sound they hear stands for and so forth and so forth. But uh, uh, at this time in your mid-service, I mean, as you're in, you're in the midst of your service, I want to share this uh, monumental conversation that the Lord had with his two tremendous prophets this night. Uh, when the Lord took us, he took us to a place, this mountainous place, the mountain ranges, very serious mountains. I see very tall mountains and mountain ranges. There are ranges of mountains, I see. The very mountainous place I'm describing now, I'm now describing exactly the site. So the Lord took us this past night, he took us to this place, and I see very mountainous, very tall, very high mountains, mountain ranges, I see. And then the voice of the Lord, by voice he said, mountain ranges very mountainous and then he showed me the mountains he took us again very close so we could see almost uh, how the mountains ascend almost vertical like this quite high quite really really high mountain up there and then he lifted us we could now see again above the mountain so we could see that there, there's this peak there's, there's this mountain range and there's another one right in there. And so quite mountainous ranges. You, you see mountain ranges. You see one huge mountain with many ranges there. And it's long, you know. Uh, it's a long mountain. And then I see also that when he brought us there, he raised our attention to this very tall pillar. I don't know. This, there is a pillar. It looks like a pillar, either a pillar of rock. It looks like a pillar of rock that is on one of the slopes of the mountain ranges. And then uh, God the Father, his own hand, I saw now when he came to draw for these two prophets, he drew for them that pillar with his hand. He came and drew that pillar with his hand and actually he marked it, striped it, striped it as he marked it. It is the taller bit and then the little fatter bit sitting on uh, being the base and so forth. So again, the Lord Jehovah Yahweh, 
He took me to a mountainous place with many mountain ranges, long mountains and quite high also, quite high up. And you could see one mountain range and then the next one right in there, the next one on the other side, quite deep as they go in. And then when I stood there, then I saw him coming now to speak to the two prophets about what is going to happen at that place. And then he commanded them, he commanded them to decree judgment, to pronounce judgment at that place, to a tremendous judgment of the Lord. And then what I saw is that a beam of light, there's a tremendous beam of light like the sun that the Lord did shine in that place. The Lord did shine in that place, a tremendous beam of light, so much light. So much light then shone over those mountains and down to their slopes, even down to the valley. So bright, bright light. And so for a moment we thought it's because this side is dark and the other side is under the sun, the other side of the earth. So probably we thought that is a statement he's making, that it is going to be sun on the other side while it's dark on this side, meaning it's on the other side of the earth. And so um, bright, sunny, light, bright, you know, and it was hot also. And then after that, um, when the two prophets of the Lord, when the two tremendous, the two dreadful prophets of Yahweh, the messengers of eternity, when they were commanded to decree and pronounce judgment over that land, and then they did so as they were commanded this night, and a massive monumental earthquake took place. Monumental is the word. A massive monumental earthquake took place, and it really dug. It struck that place, and down there, I could see now down at the valley, it's as though there is a quarry, there is a digging, there is a quarry, like a place where there's mining. You could see the soil, the, the deep hole, the deep hole that is out there, as if a mining quarry. And you could see a lot of soil, and it's such a hole that so much soil is now all above, quite a heap of soil all around the mouth of the hole. This became a tremendous moment, a very shocking moment in this conversation when finally the two prophets of the Lord acted exactly as the Lord had commanded them to do. And a massive, massive tableau, a massive monumental earthquake struck these mountain ranges. When I looked down there, we were now able to see the deep, deep hole that has been created. The soil is reddish, and it's as though it's a mining site down there, the valley. But you see the mouth of that hole, a lot of soil, a lot of soil, like a mining, and it's a wide place. It's a wide, wide, wide hole that was created. I could see even the bottom of it. I could see now the, the soil that is all over around that hole. And then, again, 
again slayed me. And then they saw the Lord speaking to his true prophets again about the same conversation. Again, he took them there to the same site a second time and showed them the mountain ranges. And this brilliant light, like the sun, it was quite hot though, but it was unique light. And again, trying to understand, probably it's dark here and light on the other side of the earth. Then the mountain ranges and the voice of the Lord again said, very mountainous, the mountain ranges twice. And then he commanded them to strike that land with a massive earthquake. The massive earthquake took place down. Again, down there looked more like at the shaking of those mountains, massive mountains, long mountains with different ranges and up there, high peaks up there. But when they were shaken upon the decree and the pronouncement of these two dreadful prophets, violently, monumental earthquake. And then this deep hole is created with a lot of soil around it so much soil, red soil is up, and a lot of rocks. Very, very serious shaking, beloved people, coming to the earth. And the Bible is very, very clear. The Bible has stood up very clear on the times we are in. We know very well that these are the last days. Everybody now knows, when you watch your news, you know that the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming, and the signs of the coming of the Messiah are here. You don't need to go anywhere. You simply need to turn on your news, and you know that surely these are the signs written in Matthew 24, and all the scriptures that spoke about the dispensation right before the coming of the Messiah. And then, beloved people, at that time, again, I fall asleep. Then I see the Lord coming to speak to his two prophets again. And then by voice he speaks with them. He holds a conversation with them. And this time, he now shows me the two prophets going to go live on air. Going to go live on radio. They are going to announce. They are going to go live on air and announce globally that there is such a visitation. Such a tremendous visitation of God the Father that is coming upon the earth. The Bible in the book of Matthew 24, verse 7, talks about the tremendous earthquakes and the famines that will happen across the earth. And these are the signs that Jesus divulged to the church. He gave the secrets about his coming. That when you see these things, you know that my coming has drawn nigh. But what then? is the message in all these beloved people in your churches, seated, listening, tuned into this. How does this translate into your personal preparedness? How do you harness this and adapt this into your system that you may, as you are in the know, but also make the relevant transformation, adjustments, you know, to be in step with what the Lord is saying towards the glorious coming of the Messiah. So right now, I'm reading the book of Job, chapter 28, and I want to read it from verse 12 on. And he says, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? 
man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. And he says, the deep says, verse 14, Job 28, 14, the deep says, it is not in me. In other words, the beast, the haze, the realm of the dead, the realm of the, 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 once you recess into the deep of this earth, they say, it is not in me. They acknowledge. And it says, man does not know its value. In other words, it says, mortal man knoweth not its pride, its treasure. And he goes on to say, verse 14, the deep says, it is not in me. And the seas say, it is not with me. Even the depth of the sea says, it, wisdom is not with her. Verse 15, he says, Job 28, pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it. Nor can silver be weighed at its price. So he is now beginning to touch on the precious metals of the earth. In other words, the wealth that the Lord has laid and deposited upon this earth. And he's saying, pure gold cannot be given in his exchange. So let's say you have 10 trucks of pure gold, the purest gold of Ophir, or whichever gold you think is the best refined, how many carats, how many tons of pure gold? He says, no. He says, pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, thereby laying forth the value and treasure that wisdom beholds in these days when such monumental events and visitations are being spoken upon the face of the earth. And then he says, verse 15, part B, he says, nor can silver be weighed as its price. Verse 16, he says, it cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. So that is now the purest of the, of the gold, the purest of all the gold of the earth. He says, cannot be weighed. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire. So that is tricky because he's already talking about the precious metals, the most precious of all metals. He says the onyx, the sapphire the beryl, the emerald, the chrysolite, the topaz. You remember those metals when we discussed about the kingdom of heaven? And so he talked about the top metals of the earth. And he says still about them, it cannot. He says, nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. He says, in, in precious onyx or sapphire. Cannot. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx, and sapphire, in other words, the beryl, the emerald, the sapphire, the topaz, all those precious of precious of all. He says, gold or glass cannot equal it. We're talking about wisdom, beloved people. <laughs> Nor can it be exchanged for articles of fine gold. He says, coral and chrysolite or crystal, crystal are all not to be mentioned, in other words, before this treasure called wisdom. You can't even mention them. And the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. In other words, even the most treasured of pearls cannot be compared with wisdom. 
cannot even be brought close to comparison with wisdom, beloved people. And then he says, the topaz of Ethiopia cannot be equal to it. They cannot equal it. Nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? But wait one, that is hidden from the eyes of all living things and concealed from the birds in the sky, you said from the bird in the sky. So this is very powerful. And then he goes down there before he go to death and destruction. Right up to where we have read in your churches, sitting, listening to this. And I'm hoping that your network is good. You are tuned in very well. He's saying in all the scriptures I've read, from all the way the verses I have touched on, beloved people, from verse 12, he's saying, that when God created creation, when he created man, he created man in such a structure, in such a formation, if you look at the blueprint of creation of man by God Jehovah, the one that spoke with us this night, spoke with his true prophet this past night, if you look at the blueprint, the architectural plan of his creation, he created man in such a way that he embedded wisdom inside his creation. Man, the church, wisdom became an irreducible benchmark for the existence of man. Let me put it better. He says that when he created man, Adam and Eve, the church, humankind, he made sure that in that creation, he established, he embedded wisdom in the creation of man, Creation of the church, wisdom in your creation, you the ones listening to me, that when he created you, he embedded wisdom in you, and he made sure that everything around your life would gravitate around wisdom. But then now, if God created man, and he has attained, he assured man, he made sure that wisdom became that center core, the center benchmark for the life of man. In other words, wisdom would be needed as an existential need. An existential need. For you to exist, you would need the wisdom of God. That is just how God created man. Whether in the Americas, South America, in Asia, in Africa, Australia, New Zealand, the island, everywhere, Europe. Everybody created a life. He says he created them in such a way that wisdom became that center core, the central article that would govern their lives. But if he created man, Adam and Eve, the church, in such a way that wisdom was the irreducible minimum for existence, existential needs, then how come from verse 12 of Job chapter 28, all the way to verse 21, I have read, and when you hear what I read in those scriptures, you right away begin to understand that there is a crisis of wisdom. There is a crisis of wisdom. He is talking about a shortage, a depravity, a lack. Those scriptures I've read, they pronounce lack. They define lack. 
crisis now? How come then there is a crisis? If he says that the church, the human being, the creation, God's creature, that you need wisdom as an existentialist for your existence in this life and in heaven, beloved people. Both in this realm and in the realm of eternity, he says wisdom would be the irreducible benchmark, minimum. Then how come in reading Job 28, verses 12, all the way to 21, he pronounces, he describes, you hear a lamentation about the shortage of wisdom, the lack of wisdom, a crisis of wisdom. He says, where then does wisdom live? That means somebody has lost wisdom. Somebody has deviated, has deterred from the original trajectory, the path upon which they were launched. And all of a sudden, in these readings here, it appears that all of a sudden then they realize, wow, we need wisdom. And then a crisis develops. A crisis ensues. Where then does wisdom live? Verse 12, like I read, say, but where can wisdom be found? All of a sudden, it dawns on mankind that without wisdom, you are totally kaput in German, in Dutch. You are dead. You are dead meat. And all of a sudden now, he says, the wealth of the earth. So you see there is a crisis, and the basic instinct of man comes into play. Basic instinct. Say, wow, then let me go look for the finest of gold and attempt to buy it. Attempt to purchase wisdom. And he says, no, even the purest gold of our fear, even the topaz, the chrysolite, chrysolite, the beryl, the emerald, he's talking about the sapphires. They cannot be compared, he says. Cannot come close to wisdom. A crisis has now developed here. All of a sudden, you have realized that in this dispensation, without wisdom, I am doomed. I am headed south. And then he says, if you read on now, I want to introduce another factor here. He says now from verse 21 on, he says, And thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living things, and concealed even from the birds in the sky. So you saw already, he said, wisdom is concealed, even the deep, the realm of death, the realm of the dead, he says, they say it is not in us. Are you Papa? In other words, they do not know where wisdom is. The depth of the sea, the realm of the dead, the realm of the deep, they too say it is not in us. The beast says, it is not in me, the beast. And he goes on to say that even the birds in the sky, meaning the depth of the deep, has no wisdom. It is not resident there. Because in other words, there is a crisis here. Mankind is looking for wisdom, is asking, where does wisdom live so I can go take some for myself? Meaning they lost the original wisdom with which they were bestowed. Bestowed for life. 
existential need. Now there is an existential threat. A threat for your own existence. The birds in the sky, when you thought you could go up there and search for wisdom, they say, we do not have it here. He says, the land of the living, they cannot see wisdom. Even the eyes created by Jehovah cannot see where it is. Even the birds, the birds, he says, they cannot find it. He says very clearly, verse 21, it is concealed, it is hidden from the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds in the sky. He says, destruction and death, with our, the destruction and death say, with our ears, we have only heard a report of it. Hey. He's saying that destruction and death say, we have only heard the same thereof. We have only heard the rumor about it. Different ranges, even at 
So you can imagine how God sees. He makes us this past night. Look at those mountain ranges in that prophecy with the eyes of God. So you can imagine seeing from here, seeing the earth. And now he underscores it here very clearly that God alone understands his way. He knows where its place is. For he looks to the end of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he imparted weight on the wind and he metered out the waters by measure, when he set a limit for the rain and a path, a course for the thunderbolts, the thunderstorm, for the thunderbolt, for the lightning, verse 27, then he said, then he saw it, and he declared it, and he tested it, and he established it, and he affirmed it, and he searched it out. Verse 28, and then when he had done all that, and then unto man he said, Behold, it is the fear of the Lord that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. What is the Lord saying here? How does this connect to the prophecy I've just given about this monumental earthquake coming? I'm saying that such prophecy prepares the nations, prepares the whole earth, for the glorious coming of the Messiah by trumpeting that the signs of the coming of the Messiah are now here with us. That's the first thing it underscores. It lets you know, wow, the signs are now here. The Messiah for sure is coming. Because these were promised in the Bible. And then he says, how ought you then to live as Christians as believers. And then he goes into the scripture that says, wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. Why? Because when the wedding supper of the Lamb came, only the wise virgin, the wise church, the wise congregation, in Matthew 25, verses 1, all the way to 13, only the wise church gets to enter the safety of the eternity with God. The eternity of heaven. Therefore, wisdom then becomes that very necessary, an existential need for you to exist in this day, in this realm, and in the eternal realm in heaven. Wisdom becomes the years. And that's why he says, how then can wisdom become a yardstick now when there is such a fall? Adam already fell in the garden. And the Lord endowed him with wisdom. And then the serpent came and said, No, there is another way through the back door through which you can attain wisdom. You can go and eat the knowledge of the good, the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then you will be wise like God. So at that point, when men fell, they lost the original imprint, the original footprint of wisdom that God had imprinted and out on man, on the church. And now look 
all of a sudden, a crisis developed. And that's why the, the Messiah came. He restored wisdom back to church. And much more importantly now, the Messiah is coming. The fallen church needs to go back and be church her part. Again, the path that leads to wisdom. She needs to be endowed with wisdom. He says, the fear of God. And he says, even death, destruction and death, they have the conversation. They hold the conference, destruction and death, hold the conference, and in their conference they say, only a rule of it, only a rule of death has passed by our ears. They say, we have only heard the fame, therefore, how famous wisdom is, but we don't know where wisdom is. And that is such a precious treasure to the church, that the devil that is disturbing the church now with apostasy, with decay, with lukewarm Christianity, is saying it can be beaten by this scripture here. Why? Because he says, once you receive the fear of God, once you receive wisdom, even Satan cannot access you. He knoweth not your mailing address. You will be hidden in wisdom. You will not even know where your mailing address is. So he can write you a note, text you, write you a WhatsApp, a Twitter, a Facebook note, a LinkedIn. Because he says it's hidden from Satan. And therefore the beholders thereof of wisdom are also hidden from the devil. The church, the church ought to embrace wisdom now. And that wisdom is the fear of God. Before I do this, how will God do that? How will God look at this? Is this really the fear of God? I fear God. I don't want to do this. I don't want to sin because I fear God. He says, behold, it is the fear of God that is wisdom. So when God looks at, when he looks at from the heaven, and he looks into the earth, he can then see the Christian beholders. He can see where wisdom leads. He can see the Christian that behold wisdom. He can see them. He can see how they are dressed holy. If they are ladies, their skirts are long. Their chests are well covered. If they are young men, they are well dressed, not sucking trousers or whatever. Not roasting the hair and putting earrings. No. He can now see where wisdom leads. And it's amazing because he says, the mortal knoweth not his price. And he says, when you behold it, it is unequitable. If I read, if I read NIV for you today, if I had time, if I had time and I read NIV Bible for you, then you would hear NIV saying that the topaz, the chrysolite, the sapphire, the beryl, all these wonderful gold and silver cannot even be compared. Meaning, you cannot even purchase. You cannot even put on the scale. Wisdom is incomparable. The wealth of this earth put together cannot weigh wisdom. Wisdom will still throw them up because wisdom is heavier, incomparable, unpurchasable. Wisdom is incontrovertible. It's unmistakable. It's undeniable. 
that whosoever beholds the wisdom of God is the church now. It is obvious. It is so obvious and yet hidden to the mortal realm. Hidden from Satan. But when you receive the Lord and decide to receive wisdom and walk in the knowledge of God, in the fear of God, when Satan comes looking for you, he can't see you. He can't find you. He comes all over looking for you. If he's told you went to church, he comes at the church door. He's looking and looking. He's beating at the church. He can't see you. He cannot see you. Because your identity has changed. He cannot even identify you anymore. You are hidden in the wisdom of God. And so the problem of apostasy in the church can only be solved by the fear of God. By the wisdom of God imparted and restored and bestowed back to the church. But in whatsoever you do, the first thing, I fear God. I fear to sin because I fear Jehovah. I fear to do this which is wicked because I fear the Lord. Beloved people, I have seen a tremendous tableau, a tremendous monumental earthquake coming to hit the mountains. Those mountains, I don't know which mountains these are. These mountains look more like the Andes Mountains of South America. And I know that right now, I am preparing, we are preparing to leave for Lima, Peru. Right now, the focus is on Lima, Peru. The powerful historic revival coming to Lima, Peru. Different committees are working. They are trying to identify the team that goes with the true prophets of the Lord. Lima, Peru, we are in constant contact with the church leaders there. The authorities, they are working. A lot of work on the ground. Lima, Peru, Lima, Peru. But I do not know where these mountains are. They look more like the Andes Mountains that have very long ranges like this. Maybe it's Himalayas. I don't know. The Lord has not shown me this. But he's taken me to that place. Then the sun. The sun was there. This side was dark. So so ever the case, wherever it be, it's now absolutely clear that the message transmitted is the most important. The message transmits that the Messiah is coming. And I know Kenya, you have a big celebration service ahead of you here. 37 cripples just walked. You have 37 cripples that just walked. And we have a big celebration service already. Kenya is going to appear before the Lord in big, big manner to celebrate Jesus. To celebrate the restoration of the blood and the cross of Jesus. The power and the authority of the gospel of Jesus. Raising cripples. Opening blind eyes, stretching the limb leg, popping open deaf ears, the mute speaking, wound dying, cancer dissolving, tumors bursting, HIV dissolving, and testing negative in hospitals. Is the gospel of the kingdom, the coming of the Messiah, being preached in absolute clarity? Repent, repent. Repent and return to righteousness. Repent and be holy. Without which, no man will see the Lord. I know you have a big celebration.
I don't want to take your time. I bless all the churches in Kenya here. I know you are God, and right now I bless you. I bless your salvation. I bless your revival. The revival to be here has exploded out. I bless your children, your families. Provision, I bless you. I put baskets before you. I bless your health. I bless your evangelism. I bless your ministry. I bless your businesses, your jobs. I bless your crops, your fields. I bless your life. You are the taking. You are there for beloved people. And all those children have blessed you too. If you choose righteousness, I bless you too. Across all the other nations. If you choose repentance and holy living, deliberate holy living, intentional holy living, I bless you too eternally. That we may defeat the devil and ashamed the devil that day. That hell may be empty. That all people may get their place in the kingdom of eternity, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of eternal life with God. Again, like I say, there's a big Thanksgiving coming up in Kenya. And yet, big, big committees are working, preparing now to send the names on Monday to the authorities in Lima, Peru, they need the name so they can be able to instruct their relevant consulates to process everybody for travel. This is a big time in the global sphere, in the global landscape of the church. Thanksgiving ahead of us here. Big revival coming to Lima, Peru. Many other nations too. May the Lord bless you, beloved people, as you prepare for the glorious coming of the Messiah. Joanne Mutai, Senior Bishop, can you just play for me right now the very worship song that just played last. Play twice before it translates, and then you close it down as we enter the glorious worship services across this land. The Lord bless you. Shalom, toda, toda. Toda raba, toda Hashem, toda haverim, toda haver sheli, toda. <laughs> 